everybody? How you doing? Good morning, good morning. Hey, just a little note about the store too. Like Bill said, everything in there is at cost. We don't make money off of any items in the store. We actually overall kind of lose some money, but, uh, but we, we just like to make that available to you. So just a little note about that. So here we are, we're just nine days away from Christmas itself. And so what I wanna do is I wanna wish all of you a very merry stressmas. Yeah. Did you know, this is, this is a real thing. There's this real campaign, it's on social media, called Merry Stressmas, and the point of it is to help make people aware of the stress that is placed on people at Christmas time. <laughs> really? Somebody really felt we needed to be made aware of that? I mean, come on. Um, I'm sure we're fully aware of all the stressors that come this time of year, Christmas time. And, and I'm pretty sure if we were to make a list of the stressors, that for many of us, at the top of our list would be this. Family. You know, that, that extended family that over the holidays we end up spending a lot more time with than what we would really hope for or want, you know. <laughs> Because uh, it kind of creates a lot of stress when we're with that extended family quite often for many of us. I mean, I cannot tell you the amount of conversations that I've had just over the last couple of weeks where, you know, you talk with somebody about, hey, what are you doing for the holidays and so forth? And then so many of them, there they're, ends up being this big sigh. <sighs> and they shake their head and they roll their eyes and they talk about these obligatory family gatherings that they have to participate in, that they're forced to endure. And, uh, and then quite often, the conversation, the, these three words get dropped. My dysfunctional family, you know? My dysfunctional family. I mean, um, I think it's kind of common these days that people tend to think about their families as having these dysfunctional tendencies. You know, and, and for some, it, it's a little bit, and then others, they feel like there are major issues in their family. And I think it's also common for a lot of families to have a Walter in their family, a Walter, that, that, that person that is loud and obnoxious and opinionated and domineering, and it always has to be their way. You know what I mean? A Walter. This gives you a little bit better idea what I'm talking about. to the park it's closed today because they're spraying for bugs do you want to live with creepy crawlers all over I guarantee you don't you really need to think about how you talk to me you're disrespectful without even knowing my reasons why you talk over me you are allowed to have a, vo a voice here in 2018 you know but it's like you're crossing the line on being disrespectful each and every time. Crossing the line on being disrespectful. That is not my dog, but I would take that dog in a heartbeat. Frenchie. So his name is Walter Jeffries. You can check. He's a YouTube sensation. You can follow him on Instagram and, and everything. So, 
But I'm thinking a lot of our families, we've got a Walter, maybe even more Walters in our family. You know, again, that domineering personality that makes everything just kind of uncomfortable and stressful and sometimes is downright miserable. Are you thinking of the Walter in your family right now? Mm-hmm. Are they sitting next to you? Don't, don't look at them. Don't look at them. Just keep looking straight ahead and just, just signal me. You know, give me one of these. But make sure you use the eye that's opposite from where they're sitting. Go ahead. Oh my goodness, look at all this. Wow, I feel sorry for you people. Dysfunctional families. You know, we joke, we joke about it. And in the movies at Christmas time, like Christmas vacation, you know, we laugh at them, but it's not so funny in real life, is it? When it's the family that, that is ours that is so dysfunctional. So let's pause for a moment here and let's just kind of sit on this word dysfunctional. You know, I looked up the definition of it, and it was so interesting. Look at this definition of dysfunctional. Not operating normally or properly. Whew, that's deep. That's deep, isn't it? Dysfunctional means it's not functioning correctly. So a dysfunctional family is simply a family that's not functioning the way that it was designed to function, the way that the creator of the universe designed families to function. So with this new, deeper understanding of dysfunction, um, how, many, how many families do you think are dysfunctional? All of them. <laughs> Practically every family on the planet Earth is dysfunctional, and some of the families are far, far from functioning the way that the Creator designed families to function, and some are, are closer to it, but, but they still don't get it right all of the time. And in my experience, you know, even the families that just seem to have it all together, you know, they seem like just the perfect little family. They, too, have their dysfunctional moments and their dysfunctional ways once you get close enough to them. And all this dysfunction, it leads to something. It leads to a condition. And the condition is L-O-P. And you know it's serious if it uses letters, right? And it's this, L-O-P, lack of peace. Lack of peace. Let's take that word peace for a minute and let's just kind of, let, let, let's think about it. When you think of peace, what do you think of? Because there's all different kinds of peace, right? I mean, here at Christmas time, we often think about uh, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, where we have uh, the recording of the historical event when the night that Christ was born. And it says that there were some shepherds out in a field, and then all of a sudden these a multitude of angels, which literally means like probably millions of angels, appeared in the sky, and they're singing and praising God for what he was doing that night, sending the Messiah, the Rescuer. And it says that they shouted, you know, glory to God in the highest. And then what does it say? Peace on earth and goodwill toward mankind. So there's this idea at Christmas time we often have about peace on earth. And we think, oh, man, that sounds really good, but, but also next to impossible, right? So there's that kind of a peace. But maybe we think about circumstantial peace. You know, we think about our lives and that the pace we're going and how hectic and crazy life is. And we think, man, just for my surroundings, for things to calm down a little bit, give me some peace and quiet. And again, it seems equally as impossible, doesn't it? And then there's that desire for some inner peace. You know, in my soul, in my head, there's all this anxiety and there's this worry and these thoughts that I have. And I would just love to have some internal peace which really seems pretty impossible at times. 
But that's not where we're going to land today. You see, there's this other kind of peace that we're going to talk about. Another kind, again, it sounds really, really great, but sometimes just seems next to impossible. And I also think it's one that we tend to not be real aware of. We, we don't stop and really think about it. You see, some of us, we're not, many of us, I think, we're not just suffering from LOP, but we're suffering from L-O-R-P. And it's this, a lack of right there relational peace relational peace you see we have this lack of relational peace I think in a, a lot in our extended families and that's what makes the holidays so stressful but the truth is too we have a lack of relational peace in many of our immediate families those people that we're living under the same roof with and doing life with and let's go even further than that. Let's go into other relational circles. You see, we often have a lack of peace in our workplaces, among our work associates. And we often have a lack of peace in our friendship circles. You know, and there's a lack of peace in our neighborhoods. And maybe you can think of others as well, other relational circles that you're a part of. And we experience this lack of relational peace. Well, what exactly is this? You know, let, let's kind of break it down. What, what is the problem that we have here that's causing this lack of relational peace? Well, let's look at it this way. What if, what if there is peace present in our relationships? You see, when families and work associates and friends and neighbors and so forth, when we are functioning the way that the Creator designed us to function with each other, then we experience this thing that we long for this thing that we desperately need, this thing called relational peace. So what does that look like? It, it looks like this. Our togetherness now creates a space that is safe. That's the biggest thing, a safe space. It's a comfortable space, a place where we want to be. It's this place where we feel this sense of belonging. We, we feel a connection with the other the members of the circle of the group. We feel understood and we feel cared for and we feel respected and we just feel genuinely liked and, of course, loved most certainly loved, and it's this space that just brings out our best. It's a space where there's harmony among all the members in the relational circle, where we're better together. That's what it is when peace is present. That's what it looks like. So if this doesn't describe our families, if it doesn't describe our other relational circles, then we have a lack of relational peace. And chances are, Chances are we're experiencing some things that the Apostle Paul spoke of in a letter that he wrote to the followers of Christ in, in two cities, one to the city of Corinth and one in the city of Galatia. And he says these things. He says to the, the Corinthians, he says, I'm afraid that when I get there, I'm going to find you different from what I would like you to be. Well, what is this, Paul? How would you like them to be? How, what are you anticipating on finding them? He says, I'm afraid that I'll find quarreling and jealousy, and hot tempers, and selfishness, and insults, and gossip, and pride, and disorder. I'm really afraid this is what I'm going to find when I come see you people. And then he goes on to, to the people in Galatia. He said this. He says, in, instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always critical, and you're catty. Catty's like getting a little dig in, just some little intentional hurtful words to somebody. Usually we shrug it off like we just are joking around, but we mean it. Paul is telling us very clearly, 
what it is that creates this lack of relational peace in our circles in our relational circles and sometimes the problem it is obvious it's plain to see quarreling hot tempers insults walters if you will pretty plain to see pretty obnoxious right it's easily identifiable conflict in our relational circles but sometimes sometimes it's not so obvious it's much more subtle it's rather insidious like jealousy among our circles and selfishness we're looking out for ourselves instead of others gossip we're actually talking about each other in negative ways from talking about this one over here to this one and we're critical and we're catty in our comments these are the kind of behaviors that we can hide behind you know and we can rationalize them and we can minimize them and we can deflect you know i was just kidding you're so sensitive you're so sensitive whether it's loud, obnoxious, or it's subtle in its disguise, it is hijacking our peace, and it is ruining our relationships. We're becoming like super chickens. Have you heard about the super chickens? Have you? No? Well, let me tell you about the super chickens. There was this biologist at Purdue University who studied chickens, and he was interested in productivity. So he wanted to know what it is that could make his chickens more productive. So he devised an experiment. Of course, that's what you do. So chickens live in groups. So the first thing he did uh, was he selected just an average flock of chickens, and he just let them alone for six generations just to do their thing. But then he created this second group of the individually most productive chickens. You could call them, he said, super chickens. And he put them together in what he called a super flock. And each generation, he selected only the most productive to go on for breeding then. After six generations had passed, guess what happened? Guess what he found? Well, the first group, the average group, they were doing just fine. You know, they were all plump, and they were fully feathered, and the egg production had increased dramatically. But what about that second group of super chickens? All but three were dead. And you know why? Those three had pecked the rest to death. Now, it's sad to say and to realize, but sometimes we human beings, we peck each other to death, relationally speaking. We peck each other with our quarreling. We peck each other with our jealousy. We peck each other with our gossip, with our critical and our catty comments. And instead of our togetherness making us better and more productive and building us up, it becomes this place that wounds us. Peck, 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 peck. And it devours our peace. So, so when we're together, it's an unsafe place. It's this competitive kind of place. Everybody's looking out for themselves. It's a tense place. It's an uncomfortable space. It's hurtful, and it is certainly stressful. Is it no wonder that we feel like it's an obligation to spend time together, right? Is it no wonder that we want to avoid it or at least minimize our time spent with those people, right? I mean, because they're the problem, aren't they, right? Everybody knows my dysfunctional family is the problem. Those people I work with, my dysfunctional coworkers, they're the problem. My dysfunctional friends are the problem. Aren't they? Aren't they? Well, how in the world did we get here? 
I think, again, the Apostle Paul, he states it in this real simple and clear-cut way for us in a letter that he wrote to the followers of Christ living in a city called Colossae. So he had encouraged these people to do two really important things to protect their relationships, their relational circles, and the peace in them. And he said this, put up with each other. Put up with each other. And he says, forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. You know why he says to put up with each other? Because people are annoying. <laughs> and you know why he says each other? Because we're annoying too. We are just as annoying as everyone else. We just think that they are more annoying than we are. And these, these words, they're, they're for our good. These are words of encouragement that will protect and bring about relational peace. Because you see, if we don't follow them, two things begin to pile up. And over time, these lead to quarreling and jealousy and insults and gossip and all the rest of those things. And they rob us of the relational peace that we long for and we desperately need in this world. And the two things that pile up are this, annoyances and grievances. Annoyances and grievances. You see, there's, there's this thing that happens so easily as we begin to, if we're not putting up with people, they just become annoying. And so these annoyances just kind of pile up. People are annoying, yes. But when we just let that, uh, 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 those annoyances pile up, we start to do something. Something bad starts to occur. We start to put a label on people, a label. We no longer see the person. Instead, we see and we know them for that thing that annoys us about them. We see them through this negative lens, this critical and this judgmental lens, this lens that thinks we're just a little bit better than them because they're so doggone annoying. And so they have now this a label that we've assigned to them. He is so, uh, what is it? She is so, uh, the label. You know, is it, is it selfish? She's so selfish. Is it stubborn, controlling, moody, unapproachable? That's how we see somebody, we've labeled them. Weak and wishy-washy. What's the label we've given them? Or maybe the label is a little, something more like this. It, he always has been the favorite one in the family. Have you heard that one? Always has. He's the favorite one. Or she always has to have her way. It's always got to be her way. Anytime we do something, you know. Or he thinks he's so much better than everybody else. He always has. So instead of putting up with each other, we put a label on each other. We allow ourselves to get annoyed and we let that annoy, those annoyances pile up until we no longer see the person. All we see is that big annoying thing and we label them accordingly. A couple weeks ago, I went downtown and I went to one of the big churches downtown and they did a Christmas concert. It was like the Frederick Corral and, uh, and I'd sit down and you know, it's one of those old pews and the, all the pews just go straight out and then the Stage, you know, the stage isn't elevated, so everybody's down on the floor up front. And so I had this good seat, though. I could see. And then this lady comes in, and she sits right smack in front of me. And all I could see was her big, annoying head. 
you know? So the whole concert, I was going like this constantly. I was so annoyed. But I labeled her big head lady, you know? But her head wasn't any bigger than mine. Just was positioned in a way that annoyed me. So I never saw the person. She wasn't a person to me. All it was was this thing that annoyed me. I challenge us, I challenge us all to take some time, take some time today or at least this week and stop and think. Think about the people in our relational circles and see how quickly we start to identify them by a label. Like we realize, yes, that's all I see with that person and that's all I see in that person. I've labeled them, I've labeled them, I've labeled them. We may be shocked at what we find. Worse than allowing annoyances to pile up is allowing grievances to pile up. You know, sometimes people say or do things that they hurt us, they wrong us, it wasn't right. And oftentimes they're completely unaware of what they've said or done. They're unaware of the offense. But when we don't forgive and we instead carry around these grievances and we keep piling them on week after week, perhaps even year after year, with that pile of grievances, it becomes something that is it's very dark and very damaging. Damaging not only to our relationships, but damaging to our own souls as well. Because you see, a pile of grievances turns into resentment. Resentment. We start to carry around resentment in our souls. Bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. And resentment, that just eats away at relational peace. But it eats away at our internal peace as well, our own souls. There was a book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. (laughs) And in it, these two social psychologists, they describe how a fixation on our own righteousness can choke the life out of love. Listen to what they said. The vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly, but this this applies across the board relationally, not just to couples, but to any relationship. So people drift apart slowly over time, listen to this, in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, the authors are saying, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality difference, even angry quarrels, they are not the assassins of love. What is? Self-justification. The problem is those people, right? You see, we all have this tendency. We want to raise the bar on others while we lower the bar for ourselves. You know, we want to give other people a lot of grief while we give ourselves a lot of grace. Isn't that true? And we point out their fault, but they should be taking note of our good deeds. We place expectations on them while we have a lot of excuses for ourselves. A lot of buts. A lot of buts for ourselves. But I had a hard day. But I've got so much pressure on me right now. But I, but I, but I, but I. Here a but, there a but, everywhere a but, but. We got buts everywhere for ourselves. For ourselves. And this is the truth that we all need to embrace. The problem is not those people. The problem is we people. All of us. All of us in some way we contribute to the dysfunction 
and the lack of peace in our relational circles. And we need to own the part that we are playing if anything's ever going to change. But maybe that's the problem too. Maybe we don't really believe it can change. You know, we've given up on that possibility of things ever being different. It is what it is. Nothing's ever going to change. I just got to learn to tolerate things. I got to minimize my time spent with these people. That's the best that I can hope for. And we, we get locked into just what is, the condition of what is. And some of us, we've been locked into this, dis, into this dysfunction and this lack of peace for decades. For decades. And we're just unable to see what could be. We just feel helpless and hopeless that anything could ever be different. But folks, we got some good news today. We've got some hope. God says that there is a solution. There is. And the solution is you. And it's me. In his letters to the followers of Christ in Rome, the book of Romans, Paul said this. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? You. Me. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. Live at peace with everyone. Another version of this, uh, another um, version in the Bible, um, it says, do whatever is in your power to live at peace. Do what is ever in your power to live at peace with everyone. You see, I'm the solution here. You're the solution. We are both the solution to this problem of this lack of relational peace. And I wonder how many of you are thinking, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> my family's in trouble if I'm the solution, right? Or how many are thinking, Kim, you don't know my family. You don't understand. But we can do this. We can do this. We can move from helpless to empowered, and we can start by just simply giving up. Start by giving up. Not giving up on the relationships or the relational peace and the potential that is there, but giving up on those things that have been hijacking the peace. We need to give up our butts. You know, we need to give up our self-justification and our blame-shifting. We need to give up our expectations and our judgments and those labels that we've put on people. And we need to give up our victim mentality and our self-pity. We need to give up being right. And we need to give up that easy path of, of simply tolerating things the, the way they are and just choosing just to avoid people instead of dealing with things, minimizing our time. That's what we've got to give up. And then we need to, we need to now take on a new role in our families and in our relational circles, a new role that we'll call this, a relational leader. A relational leader. Let me tell you about this and where this comes from. Um, I have a friend who lives in South Africa. Her name is Shona. And so for over 10 years now, we've been friends, but we've only seen each other a few times through those years. She is just the most beautiful, wise, and loving follower, follower of Christ you'd want to meet. And uh, I've just learned so much from her every time these little pockets of time we get to spend together. And one of the times, it was actually the last time I'd spent time with her, she told me about this idea of being a relational leader. 
And what it, it came out of this conversation, she's telling me about uh, something that happened with one of her grandsons and how she'd handled the situation and so forth. And then out of that, she says to me that she felt God had given her the role of relational leader in her family. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. What do you mean by that relational leader? So she was talking about her adult children and their spouses and the grandchildren. So here it is. It's the extended family, the big family. And she said this, the kind of family we're going to be depends on me. Let that one sink in. The kind of family we're going to be depends on me. And she went on to give some examples. She says, if I'm gossipy, then we will have a family that gossips about one another. We'll talk about one another. If I talk negatively and I complain about one of the members of our family to another, then we will have a family that talks negatively and complains about one another. The kind of family we're going to be depends on me, a relational leader. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see, being a relational leader, it means shifting now in the way that we approach things, approach people. We're going to go, instead of being thermometers, we're going to be thermostats. Now think about this. This is a great illustration. You see, a thermometer simply registers the temperature of a room, right? It can't uh, adjust or control the temperature. It only reports what the temperature is. But a thermostat, on the other hand, it sets the desired temperature of a room and then it actively works to maintain it. For instance, at my mom and dad's house, the thermostat there, it is set on the eternal flames of hell. <laughs> it really is. Dress in layers so you're down to just a little t-shirt because it works to keep the temperature in the room at about 80 degrees. And then my mom still turns to me and says, aren't you cold? No, I'm not cold. I'm not cold, mom. So people who are like thermometers, and I've been one far too long and too many times in my life, they simply register and then reflect the emotional and relational climate of the room. They register what the temperature is, and then they just go along with it. They don't see themselves as being able to change the environment. The most you can do is just kind of figure out how to deal with it, to cope with it, to tolerate it. But on the other hand, a person who's a thermostat, a relational leader, they seek to regulate the environment. They take steps to, to set the desired emotional and relational temperature of the environment, one that's good and one that's positive and one that's beneficial to everyone, one that promotes peace, not hijacks it or destroys it. And then they actively work to maintain it because it takes a lot of work. So how does a relational leader do this? Well, let's go back to those words of Paul to the church at Colossae, the Colossians, where he says, put up with each other, forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. You see, the relational leader chooses to overlook the annoyances. Overlook the annoyances. Instead of seeing that big head that annoys them, that label that they've put on someone, that big annoyance. Instead, they see the person. They get rid of all those labels that they've put on people, and they look 
to see who, as God sees a person, that's how they see that person. And they just, they put aside, overlook all those annoyances. And the relational leader also chooses to forgive the grievances. Forgive the grievances. They forgive that pile of grievances that they've been holding on to. And then they forgive all the grievances that are yet to come in the future. One by one, as they come, big or small, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. They don't let resentment build up inside of them and, and create this barrier between them and other relationships. There was an article called 17 Things We Know About Forgiveness. And perhaps the most interesting scientific study on forgiveness uh, noted this. They noted who or what does not forgive. And it's really interesting. Scientists have observed conciliatory behavior in many different animal species. And the bulk of the research has been on primates like mountain gorillas and chimps who often follow confrontations with friendly behavior like embracing and kissing, forgiving. And they've also observed similar behaviors in non-primates like goats and hyenas. Isn't that fascinating? The only species that has so far failed to show outward signs of reconciliation. Want to take a guess? Cats. <laughs> no outward signs of reconciliation. Big surprise there, right? So if you want to be a relational leader, do not act like a cat. Instead, you need to be like a buster right there. Can't you tell? He is clearly forgiving, right? So forgive the grievances. I had to get my dog's picture up there somehow, you know. It's my dog. That's my buster. In, um, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he said this. Look at this. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. So we've already, what, what makes for peace? Overlooking the annoyances and forgiving the grievances. Okay, that leads to peace. But then he goes on to something else. And he says, and then let us pursue, go back, there we go. So let us pursue uh, what makes for peace and then for what, for building up one another. Well, well, what is that? How do we pursue that, building up one another? Scripture tells us very clearly in Corinthians, what builds up? Love. Love builds up as simple as that so now before you kind of think oh love is just that you know warm fuzzy kind of feeling or whatever we're going to look at what love really is what it really looks like and so let's say this first though a relational leader we overlook annoyances a relational leader forgives the grievances and then a relational leader leads with love we lead with love so what what is love What's it look like? In very practical terms, I love that the scripture lays this out so clearly for us. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Is there more? Nope. There we go. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. That's a lot more than just some warm, fuzzy, oh, I love you feelings, isn't it? So let's let this sink in a little bit deeper now. If a relational leader leads with love, then that means a relational leader is patient. We are patient. We are patient with people and those things that annoy us. 
And a relational leader is kind. We do kind things for other people because we're thinking about them. A relational leader doesn't envy other people, and they don't boast, and they're not full of pride. A relational leader never does or says anything that would dishonor someone. They are not self-seeking, and a relational leader is not easily angered. We are self-controlled. Relational leaders keep no record of wrongs. We forgive the grievances. We forgive and it's gone and forgotten. Relational leaders protect others and they persevere in protecting the peace. That's how a relational leader leads with love. Listen to these words from uh, Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was one of the, the inner three. He says, don't repay evil for evil and don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. That's not what relational leaders do. You know that I'm going to get you back. I'll show you. Instead, how do we pay them back? With a blessing. That's what a relational leader does. Turn away from evil, the gossip and the quarreling and the insults. That's evil. That's not the ways of God. And instead, do good. And then the relational leader, we search for peace. We go after it. We do everything we can. And then we work to maintain it because it is a lot of work. It is not easy to be a relational leader. It takes a ton of work to go after it and then to continue maintaining it so that peace stays. But, folks, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. A family or a relational circle that actually changes and it becomes a place of peace, a place that is safe and that it's comfortable, where there's understanding of one another and respect for one another, where people are built up by love, where we are better together because we are functioning harmoniously and being productive together, when we actually want to be together, when that change actually occurs and our relational circle becomes a place of peace or at least more peaceful than it was. It is so worth the effort that we've invested, the time and the work, and the work that it takes to maintain it. But it's possible that our efforts as relational leaders, we may put a ton of effort in, and we might just only make a tiny little dent, if anything at all. Maybe nothing changes. Maybe it makes no difference at all. Is it still worth it? God says it is. He says, yeah, it's still worth it. In the book of Proverbs, in, the, in the God's word, it, it's a book about wisdom for living. And, and he tells us this, that those who promote peace, what do we have? Joy. Well, how can you have joy if, if my efforts aren't making any difference, if nothing's changing? We'll, we'll experience joy because we are changing. We have changed. We, we've chosen the way of forgiveness, and we've dumped that load of grievances and all the resentment that we've carried around built up inside of us. We've let that go. We've chosen to overlook those annoyances, and, and now we're no longer labeling people. We're patient with people now and understanding, and we're seeing people the way God sees them, the whole person, not just some annoying label. And because we're learning what love really is, you know, how to really love the way Jesus loved. So our character is being molded and it's shaped into the likeness of the beautiful one who created us. And the one who makes inner peace for us possible as well as peace 
and our relationships. You see, look at these words from Paul once again to those Colossians, the people living in the city of Colossae. He says, let the peace of Christ, which is the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, let that be the controlling factor in your hearts, deciding and settling questions that arise, leading the way in all of our decisions and in our relationships. Let the peace of Christ be the controlling factor. You see, there is no peace in our souls. There's no peace in us. And there's no way that there can be peace in our relationships without the peace of Christ as the controlling factor in our hearts. We, we just won't have what it takes to pursue it. We won't have what it takes to maintain it and, and keep at it. And this peace of Christ, it comes to us when we come to an understanding that Christ is our creator. He made us. He died on a cross for us so that we could see the beauty of his character and the depth of his love for us. A love that doesn't force himself on us, but instead sacrifices himself for us. And as we come to our senses, we begin to see that sin, and the Bible talks about sin, that's dysfunction. It's not how we were designed to function in this world by our creator. It destroys us. But his ways, his his ways are how we're designed to function. And so we choose to trust him and we choose to follow him in his ways. And that means this continually day-to-day walking with him in his ways. And it's then and only then that this peace of Christ can and will be the controlling factor in our hearts. And it will strengthen us to pursue, pursue peace and then work, continually working to, to maintain it in our families and our relational circles. Let the peace of Christ be the controlling factor in our hearts. I have another friend. She's right here at FCF, and her name is Shukafe. So I got friends with cool names. Shona and Shukafe, you know? Um, and she told me the coolest story just this past Monday. We had breakfast together. And she told me how recently she left voice messages for each of her four children who range in age from 16 to 24. And she was telling them how proud she was of them. But it wasn't like that, you know, oh, honey, I'm so proud of you just because you're you, you know, like everybody gets a trophy, you know, not like that. Her messages listed these very specific things unique to each child so that the kids knew exactly what it is that they had done that had made their parents very proud of them. Now, the youngest son, no, his message, well, it was a little confusing to him because you see there are these two things that he does, or should I say he doesn't do. Uh, Mom has had to get on him over and over again about wearing his retainer. He doesn't wear his retainer like he should. And then also, he doesn't practice his music daily like he should. So she's been on him and on him and on him. You moms know that, I'm sure. So in this youngest son's voice message, Shukafe told him how proud she is of specific things that he's done, and they were legit, but then she sprinkles this in there. And I'm so proud of you for wearing your retainer every day and maintaining that beautiful smile of yours that's going to be with you for the rest of your life. And then she said something similar in, in terms of I'm so proud of how you're practicing your music every day. Well, the youngest son listens to this, and he's confused. And he's like, hmm. 
what's mom? What's going on? I know I'm not doing those things. So he goes to his brother, did you get a message from mom today? You know, so then he and his older brother compare messages and he listens to his brother's message and everything in his brother's message is, is on target. And he's like, well, yeah, he really does do all those things. So he finally goes to mom. He's like, mom, are you messing with me? You know, are, are you just, are you playing a game? You, were you being sarcastic, mom? And Shukafe explained this to her younger son. She says, no, I wasn't being sarcastic and I'm not playing with you. She says, I said what I did because I know you are fully capable of doing these things. I know you are fully capable of doing these things. So guess what her youngest son has been doing? Wearing his retainer and practicing his music every day. It's pretty cool, huh? All you parents, you're writing that one down, aren't you? <laughs> but I tell you that story to say this. FCF Church... I am so proud of you for being relational leaders in your families and at work and in your neighborhoods and in your friendships. And FCF Church, I am so proud of you that you are overlooking those annoyances uh, that other people, you know, that, that, that were so clear and, and that you're admitting that you're annoying too. And, and I'm so proud of you that no longer are you putting labels on people, you're getting rid of those and you're seeing the whole person, you're seeing people as God sees them. And FCF, I am so proud of you that you are forgiving grievances, that any grievances that have piled up in you, you let them go. And you're like, I'm done. All the resentment is gone now. I'm forgiving. I'm going to continue to forgive over and over. I'm going to forgive the grief. FCF Church, I am so proud of you for leading with love, for being a relational leader who leads with love. And I say this to you because Christ, our creator, he knows that we are capable of all of these things. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're telling us today very clearly we are capable because you've made us capable. You've designed us to live this way. Everything we've said today is how you've made us to live so we are fully capable. So now, Lord, we just lean on you. And we pray for the strength to live this out now, to truly become relational leaders who lead with love in every relational circle that we find ourselves. Help us to be the people that you've created us to be. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our creator. Amen.